This is Boss Ladies. I am here with Allie Meyer. I am super excited. Allie, if you could start and just give us like kind of, you know, a little bit of background on who you are and sort of what your career path has looked like in your career journey. And then we can just sort of dig into the mini series. <laughs> Absolutely. So I know I'm coming in already a little bit biased because I helped hire you as part of the current <laughs> company. But yeah, no, I can, I guess, start with a little bit of career stuff. I had the usual sort of liberal arts graduation, zero concept of what I wanted to do. And so I got really fortunate, ended up speaking with a woman who became my mentor, who I like to think of as a boss lady. And we started talking about what it meant to be a recruiter. And so she was saying, it's a very weird skill set in that you have to be hyper competitive, constantly researching new market trends. But at the same time, this quote unquote product that you're selling is a person. And this person has aspirations and desires and you need to balance those two aspects of your personality in that you're still remaining highly competitive, but at the same time, you're remaining empathetic to this person that you're helping at the end of the day. So I like to say I got my first job by accident, not a joke. So someone messaged me on LinkedIn saying they found a Kindle in the back of a cab and it had my name on it. Had I lost it? Yeah. And I said, no, but I noticed he worked in recruiting. Were they hiring? So that was my first job right out of college. Wait, that's hysterical. Yeah, that's truly so by accident. <laughs> oh my God, love that. Yeah, so then that job was in accounting recruiting. I found out I loved the recruiting component, not as much a fan of the accounting component. And then from there, I uh, went into tech recruiting for a couple of years and more of a generalist sort of recruiting capacity. And within this period too, I realized that a lot of people were reaching out to me specifically to ask for help with things like resumes or how to work in a particular industry. And that was all great, but I had a very limited amount of time in my day-to-day role. So I decided to form my own company in the door LLC. Uh, the Everyone name check it little- out. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the name itself is a little bit ironic because I felt like when I would talk to a lot of people, especially those just entering the workforce, I would say, what are you looking for in this next career? And their constant response was, I'm just looking to get my foot in the door, you know, just try things out. So hence the name in the door. And that has been going on for about a year now. That's amazing. And that's super cool that you've been so passionate about helping people and helping them find their path and are doing it both nine to five and five to nine, as they say. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, Well, that's amazing. And, you know, I think what might be an interesting topic for us to talk about today is sort of the implicit biases that happen at every stage of recruiting. And I think a lot about, I had interviewed Susan Fleming a little while ago, and she talks about how at one point she actually was part of the problem because she was working in a male-dominated space and she was actually holding women to a higher standard. And I think about that a lot when I'm interviewing candidates like for product management roles, because I'm like, am I doing this? Is this something that's going on as a woman that I am implicitly biased and actually holding women to a higher standard because I'm so used to being surrounded by, you know, predominantly men. And so, you know, I'd love to talk to you about like the different stages of that, both when you're looking at candidates, when you're bringing candidates to hiring managers, and then when you're actually presenting candidates for interviews with different members of the team, especially 
in male-dominated fields like tech. Yeah, well, I would say, firstly, I think it's fantastic that you are recognizing said biases, first and foremost. I think everyone is on a particular journey when it comes to recognizing these particular biases. And I would love to say, you know, eventually we'll get to a world where no one has any biases whatsoever when it comes to hiring. But at the end of the day, they're going to be there. It's a very long, complicated journey that we're all taking to be part of that. So I think the other problem that happens when people are talking about biases is they're often thinking about it at the sort of macro level. So there's the Mm -hmm. certain types of unfortunate things that do occur as part of job searches like homophobia, sexism, racism, ableism. But a lot of these sort of biases that tend to take place really come at what we like to think of as the bottom of the iceberg. So a really great example of this would be groupthink. So for example, when we're doing interviews, oftentimes there's a large wrap-up panel at the end where everyone is talking through their particular opinions. So hypothetical situation, you and I are there and everyone says candidate X is the most amazing person they've ever met. They're the best software engineer they've ever seen. But you as a product manager saw a different sort of side of them and instead viewed that maybe more as arrogance or maybe Mm -hmm. you viewed that as, well, maybe they're not necessarily the best culture ad. We are also no longer saying culture fit as part of this conversation. (laughs) Yes. I am all for culture ad over culture fit, 100%. Absolutely. So in this instance, what would happen would be an instance of implicit bias as it pertains to groupthink. So Mm -hmm. because everyone is saying the same thing over and over again, that this person is so amazing, that leads you to question your own judgment in the moment and might instead choose to hire this person, even though you have particular reservations about them. Obviously, it's a bit of an extreme sort of example, but I think in terms of the overall implicit biases process, it's important to recognize when these sort of situations are taking place so that you Mm -hmm. can address them in the moment, or if you're uncomfortable addressing them in the moment, bringing it up at a later date with a supervisor, manager, et cetera. And I think that's important also to address to a certain degree what culture ad in and of itself means. So Previously, when people were interviewing, there was this whole concept of, oh, can I get a beer with this person that I'm interviewing? Are they going to hang well with the rest of our group? And oftentimes when you have that, you're looking for similar personalities to yourself. So it's just the same individual over and over and over again as it grows your engineering group, your finance group, your legal group, whatever. So instead, there's a move towards culture ad, which is the focus on different sorts of perspectives and backgrounds in order to make a product in an environment better, just because you have all of these different sorts of perspectives, you're ultimately looking at it from a larger lens as opposed to a microscopic one. And with that too, I think the problem that people think of when it comes to culture ad is they focus on very specific areas of diversity. So I think now we've seen a big trend towards hiring specifically for race and ethnicity diversity or for gender diversity. But the reality of the situation is diversity means a ton of different things. This could Mm -hmm. also be affected from a socioeconomic perspective. This could be affected from a, you know, degree perspective, from even just a neurodiversity perspective. So what I think also is part of this process, I think, to begin with is identify you need to find someone who is a culture ad, but that the idea of diversity means a lot of different sorts of things. And with that, it's a little bit easier to come in and recognize, do I have a bias in this particular situation? For example, when I was in the agency world, a lot of the time what we would hear is, oh, this person is super low energy. They're not going to fit in well with our group. 
And maybe in that instance, that person was neurodiverse. They don't necessarily have that sort of big bubbly personality that fits in well with the team, but they're going to offer up that other perspective. So it's our job as a recruiter in that sense to not only find said talent, but explain the background behind the candidates so that we're able to influence our hiring managers in one way or another. That's such a great definition. So thank you for calling that out of culture ad versus culture fit and making sure that, you know, anyone listening is aligned on that. I'm curious how you mentally actually apply that when you're talking to candidates and when you're thinking about things. Cause like you said, as a recruiter, you're playing such a pivotal role in having these conversations and also transcending that information beyond just your conversation, but making sure like the rest of the team, like in your example, understands that maybe that person, you know, can provide benefits in less like stereotypical examples of what we think is defined as success, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. I mean, it's hard. I'm personally on my own path in terms of bettering myself when it comes to hiring and recognizing my own biases. For example, we'll interview somebody and I think they're just the coolest, nicest person ever. (laughs) And I really want to move them through the interview process, but I can't. So instead it becomes from the perspective I have with our hiring manager to determine what are these absolute intangible or tangible skills that this person needs to possess in order for us to move them through a hiring process? So for example, do they need to know Excel like the back of their hand and write big, crazy macros because they're going to be in a complex finance role? Or if we're looking at the intangible side, do they need to understand how to present to C-level executives because that's going to be a big part of their role down the line? And in asking these really targeted questions towards candidates, you're able to then sort of remove the blinders of, oh, this person is so cool, we really need to hire them, and instead focus solely on what is their skill set? Can their past experience either be trained in a way so that they're going to become this culture ad because of the diversity of their background? Or is it a little bit too different in the moment and would cause too much strain on the team to train them for this particular product, you know, team, et cetera? Have you ever called anyone on their biases? Oh, all the time. (laughs) interesting and what's that like I it's rough I think because people get really sensitive in the moments that I'm calling them out on a bias but oftentimes it leads to a really great conversation just because I try to explain you know I'm not coming from the perspective of attack this is more something that we should be addressing now so that we're not focusing on it later so we were actually talking about this a little bit before in terms of these biases. So at my last position, um, someone was interviewing me and he asked me the question, what do your parents do? And I was kind of confused and I explained what they did at the time. And afterwards he said, well, we really like to hire people from good families to come. I just threw up a little bit. (laughs) As you should. It was super gross. Oh, God. Yeah. In that sense, I mean, again, they were hiring for the exact same type of person over and over again. And when you're in a recruiting agency dealing with tons of different sorts of individuals from backgrounds, you need to be able to adjust to that or have someone who can speak to that experience. So my old team used to joke that I was the candidate whisperer because I could go into a room with anyone and then come out with some crazy story about what they had done. And on my (laughs) end, I was just thinking, I'm just going in and asking questions. I don't understand what the difficulty is with these conversations, but it's, I think just that in that you have to just ask these questions so that you can understand who this person is and as an individual and how they can be an ad at the end of the day. Well, I think also just have to call this out since you said, you know, you are, you are the person that has hired me in my most current job is that I think 
you go above and beyond the role, I think, of at least what I think is typically defined as a recruiter and that you actually spend the time to, like you said, really get to know the candidate, make sure that, you know, whatever they're interested in or whatever their passions are actually align with the role. And I feel like I'm always so grateful because you were so transparent and so upfront about like expectations and actually like caring about, you know, like holding my hand through such a scary process because it's scary. Like looking for jobs, at least I think like it's terrifying. You want the it's job. So you worst. have to, yeah, you have to talk to so many people. You're they're You know, they're evaluating you. You have to perform your best. You have to think critically. You have to answer questions in a way that makes them understand that you're good enough at your job without actually being able to like work a day and show them you're good at your job. So it's hard. And I think as a recruiter, you definitely make that process a lot less scary because you, you know, you were constantly in touch and sort of keeping me updated throughout the process. And I think that just like makes it so much better from a candidate experience. So thank you. Empathy, <laughs> it's a crazy thing, right? But yeah, <laughs> I yeah. mean, the stereotype, I think with recruiters, unfortunately, I'm not, you know, calling anyone out in particular, but it does ring true in that you're dealing with so many requisites um, positions and so many hiring managers, oftentimes people tend to slip through the cracks. And that was something yeah. that as a recruiter really bothered me, especially when I was in the agency world, you know, trying to figure out how to keep everyone updated on certain processes and procedures. And I actually have a running joke about this with my mentor that recruiting is kind of like real estate in that anyone can <laughs> do it, but it's hard to get good at it. I don't think anyone can do it, but maybe that's because, yeah, maybe. Yeah. I think recruiting is so hard because there's so much you have to understand about people and what motivates them and what they're interested in. And then you're also technically representing the company and so you have to factor in what they need and what they're looking for. And I think it's, yeah, very, very It's definitely a learning skill. And at <laughs> the end of the day, too, with recruiting, you develop the thickest skin possible, which, listen, when you're dating and if someone rejects you because you're a recruiter, you're just like, great, I can move on. I have to deal with this in my day to day anyway. <laughs> Hey, that's actually sounds like a, a good side benefit to have. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it isn't. It isn't. Um, yeah. I think something that I'm I think about a lot is like I'm someone who hates resumes because I find that it is so difficult to try and sum up who I am as a person, everything I've done and what I'm capable of all in a piece of paper. So I at least like feel super honored that you took a chance on me. And again, going back to getting to know people and being empathetic, you learned who I was beyond just that piece of paper. What are your thoughts on resumes? Like that's so much of that initial first screen. Yeah. I mean, this is probably a controversial take. I'm not the biggest fan of resumes and I think cover letters should just be abolished entirely. I know a lot of recruiters <laughs> feel differently than I do, but I completely agree. At the end of the day, your resume is just a piece of paper that's providing a brief snapshot into who you are as an individual. And one of the rules I actually learned coming up in the business was that for every 10 years, you get another page of your resume, which for example, if you're a scientist, that's going to be impossible, especially with all of the publications that you have to put together. So with that, I would say with resumes, there's a tendency for people to want to get creative. But if you're not necessarily applying to a creative role, I wouldn't necessarily go that route. Instead, you want it to be easy to read, provide a clear career journey in the sense of here's where I'm at right now. Here's what I'm looking for. Here is where my career has gone. 
in terms of past experience. And you just want it to be neat, readable, understandable, and feature no typos because the second, if I am honest, I see a typo in a resume out the door because it shows lack no of attention way. to detail. Oh yeah. Good to know. Anyone listening, know, make sure you get your resume. Uh, just have someone proofread it. Doesn't <laughs> matter who it is, just anyone to proofread for you. Interesting. Any like crazy recruiting horror stories that you can share? Oh, so many. So, so many. <laughs> so one of them didn't actually happen to me. This happened to a friend of mine when we were both in our agency days. So we were coming up at almost the exact same time. He had a candidate that he placed at this one company who did great during week one. And then during week two, he stopped showing up to work entirely. And they tried everything. They were calling, you know, his cell phone, emailing him. My friend's manager even found his wife's contact information to try and get in touch with the guy. And all she would say is, he is no longer in the country and we're getting a divorce and hung up the phone. So they oh. were clearing. Yeah. So the guy <laughs> didn't show up for another week. So eventually they decided we have to fire him. He's just not here. Mm -hmm. So they were clearing out his laptop that he left at work. And it turned out that he used to go from job to job and use the company computer to go on sites like OkCupid and Ashley Madison and meet other no. yeah, yeah. And meet other women. And his wife found out, so as opposed to dealing with the consequences, he left the country. No way. Yeah, that was probably one of the wilder recruiting stories that I have. Have you ever like Googled him and seen like whereabouts he is? He's back apparently in the States, but <laughs> yikes. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a pretty wild one. I'm trying to think if there are any others. I do have some heartwarming stories, if that works. Oh, tell those. Love the heartwarming stories. Yeah. So this was, um, again, also in my agency days, uh, there was this guy who came in and he and his wife had recently had a baby. He was working this crazy job that was paying him nothing and he was working really, really long hours. And so his wife said, it's really difficult with you not being at home. I have to, you know, go back home to my family and raise our son. So he came into our office, explained the situation. We not only got him a job that paid him, you know, significant more money. There were a lot of families that worked at this company. So they had a much better work-life balance. And his wife was able to come back from her parents' house and live with them again. So he came into the office to sign his offer letter and said, you've changed my life. You know, I get to see my son grow up again. And then I had to go in the oh. conference room next door and cry and then come back to help it just help out with the rest of the paperwork. But that was to this day, six years ago, my favorite recruiting story. Oh, people can't see my face, but I'm like melting. Wait, that's so sweet. <laughs> those are, yeah, those I are, I that. mean, especially once you get into the tech recruiting world, it can feel a lot of the same of, you know, you're helping one person go from a role that's paying them a lot of money to another role that's going to pay them even more money. So when you have these moments like that, or you have the chance to get an entry level person, their first job in tech, it's the best experience, especially when you do get to see them grow and develop within their career. Oh, I love that so much. I actually, that makes me think of, um, a topic that I think would be good to cover, which is obviously, you know, specific to tech recruiting and, and a lot of other, you know, male dominated fields and industries as well. You're focusing right now on bringing a lot of diversity through the door and into the company. And I think what you've done that's really amazing is you've actually taken 
those folks and created a really supportive environment for them to grow once at the company, right? Because like, there's no point in just trying to bring a bunch of, let's say, women into a tech org that's not going to actually appreciate them or, you know, value them. So would you talk a little bit about sort of how you've been able to foster such a strong culture of diversity and inclusion. I wish I could say, yeah, yeah, this was all (laughs) something that I did myself, but I have to give credit specifically to Debbie Madden. She wrote a book called Hire Women. It's amazing. I think I read it in 45 minutes and it changed my entire perspective on how to specifically recruit for women and to recruit for diversity. So she was saying in the book, what you need to do first and foremost is look at your environment to determine are there specific paths for growth, not just for women, but for individuals mm-hmm. within the company as a whole. And with that too, you need to establish equity first and foremost, kind of across salary bands so that there's trans- if there's transparency there, then you already are building a space where people can see, you know, person X is not making significantly more than person Y, maybe because they are different genders, but instead, if you're at this level, you'll be in this bucket. If you're at this level, you'll be in this bucket. And once that mm-hmm. equity has been established, then it's creating internal task force to determine what is going to be the best way for us to continue moving forward and how can we continue to establish a sense of equity within an organization. One thing that I'm personally really passionate about is getting women into positions of leadership within technology, just because I feel when people see those who look like them in positions of power, they're more likely to want to take those opportunities. So when I first started here, we were super fortunate in that if I was looking at some of our management team, a good portion of them were women. And a lot of them were also women of color, which made was even more fantastic to witness. But obviously, you know, people come and go as part of an organization. So in that moment, then I realized we need to kind of just look at the org as a whole and determine how can we build out that next class of people. And I mean, I know... Nowadays, there's a lot of flack as it pertains to hiring referrals of people, but I think Mm -hmm. individuals will want to bring in their friends or those that they view as really talented. And so I started first and foremost asking my engineers, do you happen to know of anybody who might be on the market right now? Ideally, you know, we'd love to continue to build out this diverse environment. So a lot of them started referring these really, really amazing women to me who we I got to hire, I think almost all of them, if I'm totally honest. And that's amazing. With that, yeah, with that too, it was asking the engineers that we'd interviewed if they have or that might not have accepted if they happen to know of anybody. And so then they would refer their friends over. However, I knew that we also needed to build out our brand awareness in terms of we are a safe space for anyone to come and talk about technology. I mean, it's super obvious when you walk on our tech floor and see a giant sign that says no mansplaining, but at the same token, oh, yeah, with that, awesome. oh yeah. But so with that as well, I started trying to build out my own awareness within certain interest groups. So we hosted a couple of meetups of our own in our office. I would attend those meetups as well to show, yes, I am a recruiter, but I'm interested in learning more about the space. So I was meeting some really excellent people as part of that. And then I think too, it's simply in the outreach that I had to people. I know with a lot of companies, there's a tendency to just blast out messages to individuals who might possibly be a fit. But my view is always have it be a personalized message just because those who are receiving it are much more likely to open it. Or if they're not looking because they got this really nice message, they're likely to say, my friend is on the market. You should be talking to them. And 
with that too, I tried to be really strategic once these individuals were coming to interview with us in building out teams that were reflective of our, of our environment as well. And uh, one of our uh, fellow employees, I remember when she was interviewing with us said, it was great. I was interviewing with a really diverse team with a race and ethnicity perspective, but I didn't talk to any women and I got kind of scared coming in. And then thankfully we had about six new engineers who were coming through the door at that time and she felt a lot better. But I think in building out these teams of people who showed that they were genuinely interested and that they have this person's best interest at heart while also mirroring that with a personalized approach only brings in that stronger talent who will then in turn refer other people who are reflective of that strong talent. I give it up to you all in terms of creating that environment. I just hired everyone. Then you all showed up and then we're so supportive and occasionally I have to call my best friend and cry because I'm so proud of what you all have developed. He knows at this point where if I'm just calling him sobbing about my tech ladies, he's like, you did something great. Don't worry about it. No, you crushed it. I mean, yeah, we're really lucky. Like our women in tech are super, super, super supportive of each other. And I love, I mean, we have a Slack channel. I'll just call us out because honestly, like anyone listening, if your company doesn't have one of these, like definitely be that pioneer and set that up because it's so great to have a Slack channel where like you give a big presentation and you look in there after and it's like, great job, so-and-so. And you're like, oh, that's so great. We're all supporting each other. And we, you know, we want everyone to do really well and to grow. So I think a lot of that though comes down to you hiring culture ads and hiring a lot a lot of people that have come together and sort of enhance the culture overall. So yeah, shout I out Ali. Thank you. I would say too with that, it's also fighting in certain instances for someone that you know is really, really talented. Like yes, you are bringing in the talent and unfortunately you're not hiring said individuals, but if you meet somebody that you're really passionate about as a culture ad, you have to fight for them to come through. I love that. I kind of feel like that's like the perfect note for us to end on. (laughs) Fight for your people. (laughs) Absolutely. Fight for those that you think are amazing. Thank you, Allie. This was so fun and so amazing. And I'm so glad that we were able to cover so many awesome topics. And I think there were also a lot of great tips that you threw out there, like a resume approach, you know, figuring out how to get the right people in the door, how to advocate for them, be an empathetic recruiter. And wait, I have to ask, um, I ask this in every interview, obviously, can you please, before we end, tell me what is one of your greatest accomplishments? Ooh, that is a tough one. So I can tell you my joke answer to an extent is I decided to adopt my foster dog, but I would say probably the real answer to my greatest accomplishment is actually sitting down and taking the time to start my own business. Ah, such an amazing answer. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for taking the time to come on Boss Ladies. Thanks so much for having me. (laughs) Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Boss Ladies. Check back next week for a new episode. Visit us at www.bossladiespodcast.com for more information about the show or follow us at Boss Ladies Podcast on Instagram. Rate, like, and follow the show on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Mm